what? We finally got the 2024 Messy Reformation Conference on the schedule. Block off your calendars for April 15th through the 17th, 2024. The theme for our first ever conference is Courageous Leadership, with a particular emphasis on what courageous leadership looks like in times of Reformation. In our current Reformation, the CRC needs leaders who are willing to stand firm in their convictions and lead their churches, classes, and denomination with courage and boldness. We've designed this conference to help equip, encourage, and paint a vision for what that courageous leadership will look like wherever God leads us. To find out more about this conference, or to get signed up right away, head on over to themessyreformation.com. Don't wait to get signed up. We need people to get signed up as soon as possible to get a handle on how many people are coming and what to expect, so don't wait. And don't miss this opportunity to equip yourself connect with fellow leaders, and be part of this messy reformation in the CRCNA. As you know, whenever reformation has happened in the history of the church, things get messy and courageous leaders are needed. That's why we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment to click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. It's also important for you to know that you are our marketing plan. We rely on you to spread the word about what we're doing at the Messy Reformation. We rely on you to share our content. We also rely on you to give us five-star reviews and provide good feedback for this podcast so that the algorithms push our content further into the world that needs to hear what we're saying. You are the marketing plan, and we believe we've placed our marketing in good hands. You can also support us financially on Patreon or Substack. All the money raised is used to fund online hosting and build the platform of the Messy Reformation. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part one of our conversation with Steve Bussis. So, Steve, why don't you just kick us off, tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and the church that you're at. Yep. Uh, so I grew up in the CRC in West Michigan uh, at a fellow Beaver Dam. Jason, you're at Beaver Dam, Wisconsin, oh, right? Yeah. I grew up in Beaver Dam, Michigan at Beaver Dam CRC. Uh, and then after college, went to Westminster Seminary, California, and then served a, a CRC in Coopersville, Michigan for six years. And uh, I'm currently at Bethel Christian Reformed Church in Manhattan, Montana. Uh, married to Julie for 14 years. We have four kids. Micah's uh, in seventh grade, our oldest. We have twins, Jonathan and David. They're in fifth grade. And our youngest, a daughter, Anna, is in second grade. Awesome. And were you like born and raised then in Beaver Dam? Yes. Yep. Born and raised there, baptized, professed faith there. Uh, my parents still attend that church. So whenever I'm okay. home, uh, we're back there as well. Awesome. So you're like born and raised CRC kind of through and through, huh? Yeah. And uh, that's part of the reason I'm in the CRC uh, Mm -hmm. is that's, that's my roots. That's my home as a church. Awesome. So when did you start feeling a call to ministry? Uh, Not really until college. My degrees in accounting uh, from Grand Valley State University. So I didn't go to college planning to pursue ministry. I went to college planning to pursue accounting and uh, hmm. it was, it was the third year of college. I can remember a drive to a marketing class where I had an overwhelming sense of not that I hated 
accounting or business, but an overwhelming sense of this isn't what God intended for me. And that didn't result in an immediate change. I finished out my accounting degree, but beginning with that day and then talking with my pastor and with others and just jumping into volunteer opportunities at the church, then it became confirmed that was the path the Lord was leading me down. Okay. And so then uh, the question we always ask is uh, being such a CRC boy through and through, what caused you to go to Westminster rather than to Calvin Seminary? That was primarily a record. Well, there was a few things at play. Uh, the primary was a recommendation from my pastor who spent two years at Westminster and then finished up at Calvin. So he knew both and he highly recommended that I at least check out Westminster. Uh, so that was the main factor. I went to a campus visit and knew that's where I wanted to go. I mm. sat in on some classes and talked to some uh, students there and knew. The other much smaller factors were a uh, West Michigan guy thinking about living in Southern California for a few years. That was appealing. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, throughout college, I had stayed at home and it was just time to go somewhere else. And I think if I went to Calvin, I likely would have continued living at home and it was just time to move on to a, something new. Yeah. And so what was it about the visit? then or the classes that you sat in that made you think, boy, this is where I have to go? Uh, It was uh, primarily the professors and the students affirmed what I was hearing from them. Very, very uh, biblically based, uh, spoke very highly about the authority of scripture. And Westminster is, it's, it's not a specific denominational seminary. So all the professors are required to hold to the three forms of unity. Uh, that's our confessional identity as Christian reformed. Uh, and then also the Westminster standards. So the Westminster confession of faith and shorter and larger catechism. And so the, the commitment to scriptural authority to the confessions and there, the seminary is very intentional about training pastors to preach Christ from all the scriptures and all the classes tie into that, whether it's systematics or practical or church history or or whatnot. And I mean, all that became much more clear when I was at seminary, but even in the visit, uh, there were enough indicators that that was foundational to who they were and are as a seminary that was very appealing. Yeah. Yeah. And I can see that too, as I'm talking to more and more uh, pastors who've graduated out of Westminster, you can see that just kind of in their DNA. You you pick up actually pretty quickly, like, oh yeah, I bet you're a Westminster grad. Yeah, yeah. So who who is your favorite professor there? Maybe we don't want to say that publicly. <laughs> no, I can tell you, it's David Vindrunen, uh mm-hmm. was easily my favorite, and I so he was a systematics professor, and I think a large part of what made him my favorite is that. I'm not comparing myself to him, but our brains are structured very similarly mm. in that he's very much structured organizational. I'm going to tell you where I'm going to go and then I'm going to take you through there. And so that, that meshed with me very well. And, uh, awesome. Yeah. So, um, so you graduated from Westminster and then you went back and served in the CRC. Was there ever any part of your mind that thought about serving in another denomination or what kind of brought you back to the CRC? I wouldn't say I ever seriously considered another denomination. Uh, Like I said earlier, what what ultimately had me on that path from the beginning is that's my roots. That's what I knew. And uh, so I told you I grew up in West Michigan and I 
I came to know a number of pastors who had gone to Westminster serving in the CRC. And so I, that was very encouraging to me to know that, um, that there were a contingent of like-minded pastors that I knew right from the get-go uh, that, that uh, kept me in that direction. I also had uh, one of my roommates throughout seminary uh, was also went into the Christian Reformed Church. And so he and I able to encourage each other along the way to just kept us on that path. Awesome. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts, you know, being someone who's kind of been born and raised in the CRC and now been serving as a pastor in the CRC for a while. What are, what are some of the changes you see in the denomination from when you were a child in the CRC to kind of what, what you see now in the, in the denomination? Yeah, in some ways, um, there are a lot of things that haven't changed, uh, at least in my experience of the CRC. Well, uh, and I guess maybe that leads to one one big change that even predates me. Uh, so my wife's grandfather was a CRC pastor who eventually landed in the PCA toward the end of his uh, pastoral career. Um, but in his day, uh, he served a number of different churches like from three to five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of that was most churches in the CRC were fairly uniform in terms of uh, what they believed, their worship style. Uh, and so it was much easier to move around. And so I think from just from a pastor's standpoint, I, like I said, my experience hasn't changed much. The church I grew up in and the two churches that I've served are fairly similar, but I'm on the uh, the Council of Delegates currently. I've served at Synod three times. And so just talking with others throughout the denomination, uh, it's become very clear that not all CRCs are as alike as they once were. Mm-hmm. And I've served in the two churches I've served six and now seven years. So Neither of those are terribly long, but I think part of that is there are only so many CRC churches that I would feel comfortable serving and that would likely even call me. Um, yeah. So that, yeah, that's one broad difference that I've noticed. Yeah. It's interesting as I've been um, talking to various pastors, you know, this podcast has kind of helped me connect with a lot of pastors throughout the CRC and also then churches as a result. And so I'm, connecting with pastors who are thinking about accepting a call somewhere and talking to churches who are looking at pastors, right? They're listening to my podcast, looking up for pastors. And, and, uh, you know, I've, I've talked to a number of churches who are for one noticing that it's taking a lot longer to find a call, um, right now. Right. So I think, I, I guess I have no official numbers. This is just my gut from talking to other churches, but, um, about 10 years ago when I was on a search committee, they had told us expect one year to a year and a half to, uh, to find your next pastor. And now I'm telling people expect a year and a half to two years, um, to find your next pastor, because, uh, I think there's some shortages, but also, I think, and this is all speculation on my part, but, but I think it has something to do with what you're saying. There's this um, we're noticing the the differences in the CRC. And so churches are a little hesitant about bringing a new pastor in because they're not sure where he's at because they know that not all CRC pastors are on the same page, but then pastors are having a struggle 
moving to another church because they don't know if they're getting into a church that is not in alignment with them. They may be on in alignment on paper, but not in alignment um, in practice. And so there's kind of a, people are just kind of sitting still looking around wondering where are we and, and what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, if I can just add, I think another dynamic here is we have a number of pastors who are hitting their 40th and 50th anniversaries in ministry who are starting to think about retirement very soon. And that number is very great, actually. And those who would be coming up to replace them isn't as great. I mean, we noticed even this year at Synod, I mean, Jason, you and I were there, the the candidates that were presented in for us, it was the fewest candidates I've ever actually seen on the stage of Synod. And I understand some were, were present virtually, but I, I know the numbers um, for candidacy are lower uh, than they used to be, you know, 10, 20 years ago. And I think both of you could attest to that, you know, having both spent your time each at Calvin. So I, I'm wondering kind of, Steve, what what do you think, you know, some of the reasons for that are, even as somebody who came from a Westminster and then still had to do a year at Calvin, what do you think some of the reasons are we're seeing this today? Seeing fewer candidates, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there might be a number of factors there too. Uh, I mean, one one thing I would be curious about is is that similar in other denominations? Are they are they also having a similar uh, dynamic where there's fewer candidates? Because it uh, part of it could easily be the the ongoing division that we have seen in the CRC, and we've seen at least at the past few synods, um, which. Actually, just to backtrack a bit, asking you asked earlier, what are some differences that I've seen growing up and and now? Um, one thing that's been very encouraging to me is I think earlier on when I was growing up and just tracking synod, I, I wasn't a delegate, I didn't have any part in it, but it it felt more like I was in a minority uh, with some things that were happening and wondering a little bit how I would fit thinking about going into the CRC where um, I've been very encouraged at, especially at Synod uh, to meet so many like-minded pastors. Um, Mm. But still the point uh, to answer your question, Willie, I think that probably has something to do with it is um, candidates not sure they want to jump into uh, the CRC in the middle of the conversation we've been having in the last few years. Yeah, I think so. Um, I just, I think it's a combination of both probably of what you mentioned. I, I think there are other denominations that are um, seeing lower candidacy. And so there are fewer people coming into the ministry. And if we consider, you know, COVID did end up taking out a lot of pastors, right? I mean, they said mm-hmm. 50, 60% of pastors were considering leaving the ministry and, and I know a number of pastors who just walked away from the ministry uh, coming out of COVID. So we lost a lot of pastors. Not many are wanting to come into it. And then you throw on top of that what you said. Not many candidates are wanting to enter into the CRC in the midst of this. However, the the encouraging thing that I have been hearing in the midst of that is because of the last two synods, I've talked to a number of uh seminary students at Calvin who said, oh, I know a number of guys who 
who came to Calvin just because of the decisions that were made the last few years at Calvin, because now they're seeing, okay, the CRC's kind of picked a trajectory. This is a good place for me to serve. And so in some ways, I'm hoping in the next few years, we're going to see the trajectory turn a little bit from having fewer and fewer candidates to having more and more. And, uh, but I think it's something we talked about this on a podcast, I don't know, a couple months ago, maybe about the importance of churches starting to raise up leaders and, and start sending, sending men off into, to be leaders and pastors in the church, because, uh, we're going to need them and we're going to need some really solid leaders, um, in the CRC for our future. I think we would all love to focus our attention less on one specific issue of human sexuality and, and focus our attention on the gospel and proclamation of it and Amen. for God's work through it uh, together. Yeah. hundred percent. I think everybody's ready, yep. right? People are just ready to, we need to move from this and we need to start moving into something, uh, a greater vision of where we're going in our churches, where we're going as a denomination, how are we going to build and develop and move forward um, on mission together rather than um, what we've been doing the last few years? Because it just seems like we're just kind of beating our head against the wall. We're not making any traction here. And uh, we want to devote our time and energy in more fruitful endeavors. On a little bit of a different note, Steve, uh, as you've noted, you are uh, class with Yellowstone's COD rep. And uh, I'm wondering about your time spent on COD. You know, how how far are you into your term, and have you enjoyed your time on COD? And what what is kind of, you know, what's what's been your take on your tenure in the in the on the COD? So I've served one full year. Uh, we are in December, so my first meeting was a year ago, October. So I've had four total meetings on the COD. Um, I don't know quite how to describe my take. It, it's been enjoyable, similar to Synod, uh, connecting with other leaders throughout the denomination. In terms of the actual work of the COD, um, I, I sometimes wonder a little bit how productive we are. Uh, we, we end up having conversations more about kind of organizational structure and, and those kind of things. And, it seems just generally speaking, the COD is a little hesitant to to dive too deep into things, not wanting to overstep its bounds. And so um, I've found my my experiences being a delegate of Synod to, to feel more productive and worthwhile, generally speaking, than on the COD. But that said, I've it's a privilege to, to serve in that way, and I've enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, you can you can understand why I, I think the cod is a better structure than the board of directors that we had but you can see why they would want to trim things down and have a board of directors right because you are more efficient effective and yet um they felt if, if i was reading things rightly they felt that the board of directors lacked some of that accountability and sort of that connection to the rest the broader denomination and any there's always trade-offs in everything Right. I forget where I was just reading that, but there's always trade-offs. Uh, I, I think Thomas Sowell is known for that saying there's no solutions, always trade-offs. Mm -hmm. And so you can, you get, 
would we decided for going back to more of a, a COD model. It wasn't the COD before, but something like that. And we traded off efficiency for having better representation amongst our classes. And uh, I think that's a good trade-off. And yet, um, I'm sure, yeah, sometimes it feels like, man, I wish we could we could get some more things done or we're not just kind of, yeah, treading water here. I, I think you're right. I think there is great value in that connectivity with classes. Before I was the Yellowstone COD rep, I greatly appreciated having regular communication from the one who served before. Uh, that was just things we didn't hear previously in classes, um, at least not nearly as much. Yeah. Yeah. I think the board of directors model, or I think it was a board of directors, but um, caused more of this feeling of separation be- between the denomination and the churches where this has seemed to have fostered more of a relationship there where I, you know, I, I talked to our, classes representative on the COD regularly when I'm just curious about what's going on or if I have a concern or whatever, I have a direct line of communication. We talk regularly. So um, that, that has helped, I think a lot. Yeah. Particularly for uh, maybe it's similar in Wisconsin and Minnesota, but for us in Montana, there's a sense of isolation a bit. Uh, In some ways, Montanans don't mind that. Uh, generally they have an independent spirit they don't bother us. We'll do it our way. Uh, but there is a, just because of the distance from, uh, both Burlington and Grand Rapids, there is a sense of isolation. And so having regular reports, uh, at classes meetings, uh, helps overcome that to some extent. Yeah. Yeah, And that's, uh, one of the things that's come up here and I like to just reemphasize it, not to try to take shots, but I just want people to understand that even us in Wisconsin, and we're pretty close, right? We're only, I, I've got like a four and a half hour drive, I think, and I can get to Grand Rapids, maybe five. Um, we still feel isolated from from the denomination. And so you start getting further out. When I was in Minnesota with Willie, we really, we felt isolated from the denomination. And then you kind of just start compounding that as you get out to Montana and, you know, talking to pastors out in California, they're just, they feel very isolated kind of off on their own out there. And it's something we need to figure out how to change moving forward. I think, um, I don't know what that looks like, but, but having all of the frenzy and the activity surrounded around Grand Rapids, I don't think has been helpful, uh, for the denomination as a whole. I I think some of it is kind of incumbent on us who are a little more involved in things to be, you know, training and raising people up and encouraging them to step into some of these roles you know, I, I I was never involved in anything until I attended my first synod in 2019, and now having attended three, and serving on EIRC, and then coming up will be the Council of Delegates. I'm feeling more connected than I ever have, and I'm probably more connected than anybody else in my region, in my area. But that's only because uh, people have put me forward for these things. And saying, we see leadership capabilities in you, let's pour into you and then give you opportunities to serve, which I am. And I think it's incumbent on us to keep doing that as well. Yeah, it's a good word. Yeah, we. it's it's always easier to sit back and complain rather than try to take action and try to, try to figure out how to make some of those connections. But I'm a big like. Um, in a, in a lot of ways, I'm a big picture kind of a thinker, but also I, I, I have realized over the years that 
that structural changes do change atmospheres and mm-hmm. and the way that things feel and the, how how things get done. Um, not always, but they can. And so, if we, I, I've been encouraging us. Uh, I've been rethinking some of that. I have no authority or power to put anything into implementation, but I've been trying to encourage us to rethink some of the structures and how we do things to try to help bring more of a connection to the the local church for sure. I'd be curious too, Steve. You, so you said you've served at three synods. Which which synods were those? In my memory, uh, 2015 was one, and then 2018, and then whichever one had the human sexuality report. 2022. First, that was 2022, right? Yeah, those yeah. three. Okay, so you were here because 2015 was also when the human sexuality report was commissioned, right? Or is that 2016? I think that was 16. Okay. So that was a year after you. Okay. But yeah, I'd be curious just to hear about your, um, let's just even put 2022 off on the side because we talk about that one a lot, but what was your experience at Synod in 2015 and 2018? What, what, yeah. How was that experience for you? Uh, they were both positive. Um, there, I, though I'm trying to think of what, what noteworthy things happened at either of those. I know one of them, I think it was probably 15, was where it was decided to add deacons to the uh, delegation uh, to both classes and synod. So um, that's that's the one that stands out that I can remember. Uh, generally speaking, they were positive experiences. Uh, as I said about the COD, probably what I enjoy most is simply connecting with other people. Um, but the discussions were helpful. And uh, I thought for the most part, they were they were beneficial. I, it wasn't taking shots at each other. Um, mm-hmm. So just overall good experiences. Nothing nothing that stands out as like a wow thing. Like this is what I would take yeah. from this synod or that synod. Yeah. Now, did you notice a change in tone or feel from those two and twenty twenty two? Yeah. Yeah. Um, in 2022, uh, well, as I recall, we had a time limit. Otherwise, I think there would have been much longer speeches. But but even within the three minutes that we were given, a lot of the speeches were much, much more emotion and appeals to emotion than in previous that were maybe just more factual statements or, uh, I mean, some persuasion, but uh, noticeably more emotional appeals. Mm. Interesting. What, what do you think is behind that? Well, I think some of it was the subject matter. Uh, sure. I think two primary things. One is uh, there were personal stories involved and anytime something's personal, that's going to appeal. That's going to bring about more feeling and emotion. And I think another part of it was a recognition of the stakes of the discussion. And so wanting to utilize, uh, well, I think there's just more of a, a desire to persuade and convince others. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, the stakes of it in, in lots of ways, right. From some of the personal things, but again, recognizing that where we stand on this definitely is going to affect 
who who can be a pastor or not in, in the denomination. And that's a that's a really emotional thing. I think everybody needs to realize that. That doesn't need to necessarily sway where we're at on it, but it's important to recognize that um, you know, having to leave a denomination that you've grown up in and you've served for a long time is a very emotional thing. And uh I think we need to, yeah, I think we need to be aware of that for sure. And so did you uh did you look in on the events of uh Synod 2024 last year? Were you watching us on the live stream at all or 2023? No, I'm talking oh yeah, 2023. Yeah. I'm already thinking next year. Uh we're so 2023. Were you paying attention to what was going on in 2023 or were you just kind of taking a year off and taking a break? No, I, I was keeping up. Uh not always live. I appreciated being able to skip in minutes ahead here or there, but uh, I, I watched most of all the proceedings that happened. Okay. And so did you notice a, a tone shift between 2022 and 2023? Uh, not greatly. Uh, there was maybe a little bit more intense than the year before. I think particularly on the last day that was noticeable. Um, but there again, I, I think there was a recognition uh, of what had happened before set us down a trajectory and kind of put a stake in the ground saying this is this is where we stand, this is what we believe. And uh, so I think particularly for those that wanted to see us move a different way, there was even greater recognition of what was at stake. Yeah. And as you said, of of trying to preserve a place in the denomination for those for whom 2022 may have felt was the beginning of a push out that was uncomfortable. Yeah. It did feel very much like uh, 2023 was kind of a last stand kind of a moment and which is why the tensions and the anxiety and the frustrations and emotions were so high that's all we have for this week if you want to help us out and support the messy reformation another thing you can do is sign up for our newsletter through substack that way you'll get episodes and summaries sent directly to your email inbox it will also give us the opportunity to communicate with our audience which is one of the biggest struggles of a podcast so head over to the messy reformation on substack and sign up for our newsletter now stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with steve Bussis. But until then, don't forget this is Christ's church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So, keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.